Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast, brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. Every week, we'll meet an amazing executive who will share a story about her career and give us some great insight into her success. So if you are pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to subscribe. You can learn more about Women in ETFs and the exchange-traded fund industry at womeninetfs.com. We have a freebie for this episode, our gift to you. You can grab it at christinedelano.com. Find out more about our show, see some behind-the-microphone photos, and get a preview of our upcoming guests on Instagram and LinkedIn. All these links are in the show notes. So... Put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. In this episode, we're talking to Laura Morrison about diagnosing corporate culture. Laura is Global Head of Listings at CBOE Global Markets, an exchange industry veteran. Laura joined CBOE from the New York Stock Exchange, where she spent 20 years. Laura played a leading role in bringing new and innovative ETF products to market while launching key market quality programs and growing the New York Stock Exchange ETF issuer base to record numbers. Laura received her bachelor's in finance from Western Michigan University and attended the executive leadership program at INSEAD in Fontbleu, France. Laura is a good friend with great insight and knowledge of the industry. She has been a member of the Classic Car Club for over 15 years. We actually had a stellar evening reception there years ago. Laura resides with her husband, Scott, in Victoria Park, downtown Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I'm so pleased she could join us today. Welcome, Laura, to the We Talk Careers podcast. Thanks, Christine. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's such a pleasure to hear your voice. Uh, And I'm really looking forward to digging into corporate culture. Tell us, how does culture at firms you've worked at or perhaps one of the many you've worked with impacted your career? It's probably one of the biggest influences in my career that I can think of. I mean, Mm. it's tremendous. Just to tell you a quick story, Jean-Francois Theodore, CEO of Euronext in 2000, was best known for orchestrating the first pan-European exchange. He also spearheaded the creation of the first transatlantic exchange with Duncan Niedauer, who was the CEO at the time of the New York Stock Exchange. Soon after the NYC completed the acquisition in 2007, Jean-Francois told a boardroom of NYC senior staff, including myself, the best part of merging with this American institution is how quickly the management team makes decisions. And then he went on to say, the worst part of merging with this American institution is how quickly the management team makes decisions. Oh, that's great. (laughs) That's great. We all chuckled, that's for sure, and looked at each other. And from that point on, we certainly knew one of the biggest challenges would be cultural differences. And to take that the next step, I mean, seriously, in answering your question, one of the most challenging corporate developments impacting culture are merger and acquisitions. We've all been through it. And frankly, we should expect a lot more of it in our ETF ecosystem The integration process will make or break the company's success or failure. I agree. I agree. And that's so great that he came in sort of knowing that that would be something from the top and within the organization 
the speed of decisions and the speed at moving toward those decisions would probably be a catalyst for some cultural changes and some impacts to business, right? So that's really yes. neat that he mentioned that right off. Anything that you can remember about what might have been done to help mitigate those differences? Yes. What I learned from the experience was to do some things quickly and then take your time and doing other things. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just give you an, an example of both in terms of what I mean by that. A decision that should be made swiftly is change in reporting lines mm. because it settles the concerns. It settles what could become drama that's not necessary within the organization. So it's better to make those decisions within two or three months post-close and allow your associates to know where they stand, literally stand within the organization. It's better to get 80% of that right than to wait too long and try to get 100% of that right. Oh, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because you've got a lot of people with uncertainty, right? Feeling maybe befuddled about where they sit or even if they sit within yes. the organization. So being able to take out that uncertainty, you know, provide paths for people, provide those reporting lines, that makes a lot of sense with M&A and probably makes a lot of sense across careers too with a culture change, you know, making those types of decisions that leak out the uncertainty and give clarity into a situation, being able to make those decisions more quickly and swiftly and communicate them swiftly, I think will alleviate a lot of sort of the angst that goes along with change, right? That's exactly it, Christine. That's exactly it. I can. An example of what should be given time mm. and not rushing is building trust. So mm. essentially, that can start well in advance of the close as you're able to get to know the team and their culture, but it takes time and it should be given plenty of time to foster. Without that trust, you really can't take the organization forward in a meaningful way. So that's the critical aspect of it. And doing that can be even more challenging in a fully remote environment, as many of our companies are. And I have to say that we at SIBO have been busy doing just that. In fact, SIBO acquired or announced the intention to acquire nine companies and sold one since the pandemic started in early 2020. There's been a lot of activity in M&A at my company, and I know it's impacted many of our other colleagues who are involved in women in ETFs as well. Right. And with that, I mean, nine companies and selling one, that's that's incredible. And and being a global company and knowing that some of these cultural differences are cultural to the country you're in, I think it's really interesting to sort of dive into that. I remember I was in Tokyo years ago and I was evaluating a business for further investment or we were going to sell it. And I had a week mm -hmm. and I wanted to dig in immediately. I needed to line up the meetings necessary. I need to get all the information. You know, there was a lot of pressure on me and others to, to get this work done. And getting there, that your comment on having to slow down because you need to build the trust. That's exactly what I needed to do because I had to rethink my pace. I had to understand that 
you know, the folks in that business, they worked really hard. They started early. They stayed late for dinners. You know, they were with customers and partners every night. But me coming in, I had to build my trust with those teams. They needed to understand who I was, what I was there for, that I had the capability to do the evaluation that was necessary. And all of those things took time. So it really did eat into the amount of time that I had. I had to communicate that back to our teams in the U.S. to to really understand it. But I had to decide early if I was going to be frustrated or if I was going to find a way to sort of align my goals with that new corporate culture. And I think in the end, I, I did that alignment, but it took me a little bit to sort of let go of the frustration. Yeah, because you may not have anticipated it when you walked into the room, but being humble when you walk into other places of business is really, really, really important. I had a similar experience working with the regulator in Japan, the JFSA, as we were requesting to become a designated exchange. And it took years. And much of it, nothing was going to happen until we had met with them in person numerous times. And then finally, they gave us that designation. But it, only until that that trust and that engagement in person, because thankfully we were able to go in person, only until that was set were we be able to make headway on what we wanted to accomplish. Oh, that makes that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Very akin to the to the situation that I was in as well. Just, you know, it, it takes a lot more time to build trust and can't be assumed that that's going to be the swift process like it it may be to, you know, to change reporting lines and things like that. So, how do you, as you've seen amazing exchanges, as you've seen so many companies that you've had to work with to get them listed on, on the exchanges you work on, how do you define great corporate culture? What do you see when you see a great culture? It's very straightforward. Trust, respect, and transparency. Knowing someone has your back and will look out for you is critical. It's important in the corporate world and throughout all aspects of life, frankly. A number of years ago, when uh, my husband Scott and I were researching preschools, one of the directors said to us, once your child makes her first friend, she'll feel more comfortable coming to school every day. Mm -hmm. That that feeling of anxiety, which we've all had going into a meeting, right? That feeling of anxiety about a new environment will start to dissipate if you know someone in that room has your back. And for our young daughter, it started to dissipate and be replaced with a happiness that allowed her to look forward to spending time with her new friend. But only until that point was she able to focus on learning new skills. Once she knew, again, somebody has her back and someone trusts her and and appreciates their relationship. So as I mentioned, it, it applies to so much in our lives, no matter what age, and it particularly applies to working within a corporate environment. Oh, so well said, Laura. I think we've both seen that each new person that joins our teams or our firms introduces a new dynamic. So when you're talking about your daughter and her comfort level with coming in, her entrance into that preschool class also changed a bit of the dynamic or a bit of the culture that was there as well. And I think we've all seen it. You know, as we grow our teams, we have to be very mindful of what every new person brings to it. And you can't help but recognize the importance of finding diversity and 
inclusivity within cultures, right? The Mm -hmm. idea that certain cultures can really promote the idea of the importance of diversity in thought, in race, in background, in culture, in all of those pieces. And so I think this becomes an even bigger challenge during the pandemic when we start to sort of retreat into our little groups and and things like that with, with remote working. But sometimes it's really just kind of a matter of you know it when you see it, but how can you diagnose culture? When transitioning or even just staying at a, at a company, what are some of the ways that you can diagnose culture? I like that you asked this question, Christine, because it's probably the most important information to factor into a decision about accepting a new role. Leaning on your network is really critical and understanding the organization from the inside out, if you have those contacts, is really useful. How diverse is the leadership and how transparent is the company about those facts? How are you treated by the company's HR team? Did the process go smoothly or did you have to keep following up with the talent acquisition team? Mm. It's cool what is happening in, in talent acquisition, not to go off on a tangent, but this area is so ripe for the advancement of use of modern technology. Uh, some companies have utilized firms like Eightfold. And what Eightfold does, for those of you who might not be as entrenched in, in this area, Eightfold is an AI-powered talent intelligence platform that literally transforms how you hire and how you retain and grow a diverse global workforce. So the reason why I bring this up as an example is, so not only is it that sense, that feeling that those things you can't touch and see necessarily, but it's also based on data. And that's exactly what companies like this offer corporations. And if the company that you're working with is using this resource, and there's others like it, but um, if they use this resource, it'll actually create a better environment, not just your initial impression of the company, but ongoing as you look to continue to progress within the company. I just love how you start with sort of the onboarding and then the retention piece as such a key part of the culture. And as part of this episode, we're going to have a, a one pager that any listener can grab. And it, it's an interesting sort of checklist as you diagnose culture. And the very first thing it says is to evaluate the onboarding process. Because even if you are, you know, within this environment, knowing how your company welcomes new people in, how they go about sort of evaluating and understanding the right fit goes a long way to the type of culture that they create. So, you know, the the checklist will go from evaluating the onboarding process to, you know, examining Mm -hmm. diversity and looking at incentive programs and things like that. And we'll have that all included in the show notes. But I just love that you really highlight the onboarding process as sort of that genesis for diagnosing culture. What else do you got for us? Speaking with current and past employees, as I mentioned earlier, is really helpful. And, and frankly, mm-hmm. if you can speak with their customers too, that might ah. be a, a bit much, but it, that gives a, uh, a great impression from the outside in. If you're using a recruiter, of course, ask their advice, but also do your own research. See what's available on social media, especially LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, even Facebook and TikTok. Utilize those resources to see how the company is portraying itself. Also, look into sites such as Glassdoor. That's a useful site. 
If ESG and climate are important to you, which they probably are when you're considering the company you'll represent, investigate index inclusion. For example, I'm very proud that SIBO was added to the Transparency Index this month. Congratulations. That's, that's big news. Help our listeners understand what that's all about. Sure, Christine. So while there are a lot of indices out there like this, this one includes the top 100 transparent companies in the world. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it, they measure six key performance indicators of transparency, having less friction, superior cultures, greater innovation, and creating impact that results in a higher level of growth. But getting back to the beginning of your question, how can you diagnose culture? It's both ways, meaning it's that, it's that sense that you get, but it's also the data that's available to you, or maybe more importantly, data that's not available to you. If you can't find it, the company's not as transparent, and that should be factored into your decision. Absolutely. And in that case, not all companies are as forward thinking about corporate culture and transparency and being responsible. I think companies can often become myopic to their own goals and trajectory and forget that it is about their employees and it is about creating culture and it is about creating opportunity. And I just recently read an article according to World Institute's 2021 retention report, the number one reason people leave is for career opportunity. And I think attrition is not always all bad because people do leave for, you know, good opportunities outside and and doing both lateral moves as well as other types of moves into greater positions is, you know, is a good thing for someone's career. Mm-hmm. But you'd hate to lose the people because you're not creating a culture that encourages their internal growth, right? And sometimes the corporate and career goals need to be better balanced and integrated. And I think that is at the core of culture. So not everyone sits at the top of the food chain and none of us have done this our entire careers. So Laura, no matter our position, how can anyone impact the culture of their company? (laughs) So I'm shaking my head yes as you're Sharing your perspective on this, I can't agree with you more. In this day and age, there's a lot of focus on retention. Mm. Because there's been a lot of turnover. So how can you impact culture in a company? I truly believe that being that culture carrier, I'll call it, can set the example as a leader. And actually, you don't need to have direct reports to be a leader in your company. Leadership is a choice. It's not a position. It's a skill that can be learned. And leadership is about influence, achieving results through others. But first, you must inspire trust in what I mentioned earlier by being a model of character and competence. Effective leaders create a culture where their associates across the team can say, I'm a valued member of a winning team doing meaningful work in an environment of trust. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's for senior leadership and also brand new entries into the company. Can you say that line again? Because I I just want to get that down. I want to give credit, of course, where credit is due. This is from a Franklin Covey course that I took. And it is based on what effective leaders and how they create a culture where their associates across the team can say, I'm a valued member of a winning team doing meaningful work in an environment of trust. 
that's what I mean by being your company's culture carrier. That's fantastic. And I think that really just leads us to knowing that beyond your current position, there's great corporate culture that I'm sure you've been able to witness, right? So, you know, Mm -hmm. places where you have seen that people are doing meaningful work and they're valued as doing that and they're on a winning team and there's trust building. So any beyond your current company where you've seen um, great culture? Well, my daughter's preschool, (laughs) the one that we picked. (laughs) Uh, Seriously, it was definitely the right place for her. And that culture helped build her confidence into who she is today. But in the workforce, more seriously, I've experienced great culture everywhere I've worked. And as the organization evolves, sometimes it gets better and sometimes it gets worse. To your point earlier, Christine, Mm -hmm. depending upon that new hire, that person will change the culture of the team, will change the culture of the organization. Yes. So if you experience something going in the wrong direction, however, you can take it in action to course correct. An example of maybe an action that you might consider taking is, you know, talk to your manager about it. I often refer to this as a sandwich method. <laughs> so you, the way you approach it is making a positive statement about something you've observed and then get to the heart of the issue and then wrap up that discussion with another positive statement, essentially a recommendation on next steps that your manager, if you're asking your manager to take an action, or you're asking your manager if it would be okay if you took that action. So essentially, you can impact the culture at your company, demonstrating that leadership. And as I mentioned earlier, you don't need to be leading a team in order to be a leader at a company. Right. And and then bringing it back to that CEO of Euronext that you were talking about, where he was recognizing you know, the speed in which teams make decisions. I think that that sandwich method is so valuable because it sort of slows you down a bit, right? Instead of like constantly pointing out the things that need to change or what you've observed or things like that is this idea of making a positive statement, making your observation, wrapping it up with a positive recommendation going forward. It slows conversations down. And I think that one of the risks to great corporate culture, and feel free to disagree with me, is growth. So as companies get into these like heavy, heavy growth modes, there's a real risk to sort of losing who you are, right? Like everyone's pedal to the metal. Everyone's trying to get it done. You know, kindness starts to sort of fall away. People start to bark. You know, the whole thing starts to sort of shift in this trajectory away from transparency and trust and the building and much more into what's needed next and what have you done for me lately kind of growth. So I just think it's just important for folks to keep in mind that once you sort of start to tackle these things of building a good corporate culture, it doesn't just stay there, right? Like you're going to have to actively work at assuring that you keep a great culture going. So Laura, tell us what advice you have for this next generation of leaders. I love the sandwich method. What else do you have for them as they think about their careers and as they think about their growth opportunities and also finding ways in their own corporate cultures today? What advice do you have? Lead by walking around. Hmm. So be open to hearing and listen to the good, the bad and the and the ugly. You know, maybe things you don't want to hear, but need your attention. And this is especially difficult in remote work environments, but it's definitely possible as long as 
you have that consistent commitment and effort. Also, keep learning, be humble, and recognize your biases. There's another really great class that I took called Unconscious Bias. And it was a requirement for every associate at SIBO at every level in my organization to take the class. And we learned bias is a natural part of the human condition. It's how the brain works. We all know that. But what we don't recognize is how it can affect many of the decisions we make, how we engage with others, and respond to various situations and circumstances, often limiting potential. So there's nothing more fundamental from where I'm sitting. There's nothing more fundamental to performance than how we see and treat each other as human beings. Oh, well said. Well said. And I love that you speak about unconscious bias because that can definitely erode, you know, the the work that others and yourself do with within your companies. And also that just everybody has a bias. That's how our brains are wired is to make judgment calls so that we can, you know, move within our environment. So how to start to diagnose what is unconscious and how it actually changes us is fantastic. Thank you for mentioning that. I love it. And maybe we do a whole show on unconscious bias coming up. So that's a, that's a great idea. I also want to kind of jump back to the walking around. You know, I think it makes a lot of sense pre-pandemic for, you know, how you sort of engage and, and how you sort of get out of your office or get out of your desk and, and really engage and understand and communicate with those around you. But how have you been able to do that, especially with your move to Florida and Mm -hmm. being remote and all of that? How do you keep that walking around alive? It is more challenging in a remote environment, but it's absolutely doable. So outside of the pandemic, when we were all in the office together, it was just one office, right? (laughs) When you're working for a global company, there's many offices around the world. And it's critical to quote unquote, walk around those offices as well. And you have to do it intentionally. Well, let let me just give you an example. Going back to the preschool that my daughter attended, the director of the preschool literally every single morning would walk through each one of the classrooms and speak with the teachers and speak with the students. That was probably the most important thing that she did every single day. So doing this in a remote environment has to be very intentional. Don't always just schedule that coffee with people you feel comfortable with. You have to step outside of the comfort zone and reach out to people that may have differing opinions than you and and work through what those are. People who are new to the organization or people who have been around the organization for a very long period of time who are, if you will, that the historian. You can learn from all of the above. So the in-person engagement is important. And while it's not feasible to do that with you know, 15,000 associates across the organization, always use other ways to engage teams that can help you get your job done or that you can help them accomplish what those goals are. Thank you for that challenge. You know, I think sometimes we like to stick with the people when we have our have time in between meetings to make calls or emails or reach out some way to those that sort of bring us some joy. And I think the idea of um, reaching out to those that challenge us, those that are new, those that, you know, are bringing different insights or that we haven't had the greatest interaction with at the latest meeting. I think that's a challenge for all of us. So I thank you for that. 
So I can't believe we've made it almost to the end of this podcast. And as our seasoned listeners know by now, I'm a writer. I've always loved story and I've always been captivated by ideas. And I think exposure to different ways of seeing the world, either through fiction or nonfiction, can build not only knowledge, but I think an empathy for each other. And in some cases, action, right? To actually go out and do something about it. So what book have you read recently that has inspired you, Laura? So I'd like to mention two of them. And sure. they, yeah, they fit in line with the you know willingness to be a culture carrier within your company and also just recognizing companies that you want to be a part of. Once uh, Engine Number One, which is an ETF issuer, Jennifer, Michael, Jason, and the Terrific team approached me about listing their ETF vote. On SIBO, I immediately had to read Michael O'Leary's book titled Accountable, The Rise of Citizen Capitalism. And I found it to be fascinating. It was exactly what I, what I expected it to be. It's an educational perspective that takes a fresh look at fundamental questions of capitalism. Whose interests should corporations serve? And it's basically, as Jonathan Levine, who's a dean of Stanford Graduate Business School, put it, it's a call for collective action by consumers, workers, and investors to reorient corporate behavior. So mm. I, I found the book to be very, very interesting. And it also tied in nicely with the second book I wanted to mention, which my CEO recommended that uh, we all read. It's called The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. And it takes the conversation further, pressing on the fact of organizational health and how that outrivals everything else in business. It's frankly the difference between successful and mediocre organizations. Oh, thank you for both of those. Wow, those sound like some amazing reading. And, and we will have the links to those in the show notes. Thank you so much, Laura, for explaining and digging into corporate culture. I loved your stories from your preschool to Euronext. I mean, thank you so much for giving of your time. It's always so much fun to talk to you. Thank you, Christine. This has really been an enjoyable conversation. And I I definitely like this topic. I like to continue the conversation and the unconscious bias podcast next time. I would love it. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about the people in your career. I'm rooting for you. Once again, I'd like to remind you to go to womeninetfs.com to find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry. Please also check out this episode's freebie. I've compiled some great resources on culture and how you can be an agent of change. I've included a step-by-step culture diagnosing tool that looks at the company from onboarding to diversity to leadership attitudes and really just involves a lot of what Laura explained to us. Be sure to grab it at withakchristinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed to We Talk Careers, please make sure you do so. And if there's a topic you'd like to hear from us, let us know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.